that I know of, you know, that God had a purpose.
are your immune Mercy. system. That has a lot to do with it. Yeah, it was a stress It looks like you said it was a problem. Yeah, we had a I don't see the point for me anyway. I mean, if, if you get the flu two, three times a year, maybe sure. Thank you, Dale. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to get coffee this morning. Now, I'll try to do that on this new one Sunday morning and just make one of my fun off. And I'll drink half of it. I'll drink the other half. Which half? The better half? <laughs> uh, evening service next week. We're going to do a series, but we're not sure what it is yet. So you can't. The subject material will be a surprise. Is, is there an issue with our printing? Yep. We are low on toner. Rachel, did you ever order that toner or is it something that we got to take care of? It's something we have to take care of. Okay. So, yeah, we're, it's also one of the reasons we're not putting the church on the front. It just kills the Thanks a lot of ink. Yes. So if you want to that too. Boy, you're small today. <laughs> I'm here so far. Yeah. 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 Morning. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good
I have to say this morning when I showed up, I was the only one in the parking lot and immediately um, a funny sensation came over me. Either the world has changed drastically and I missed it, <laughs> or somebody sent a memo and I missed that, <coughs> and uh, all of a sudden everyone started showing up. Rachel, is the mic on? Okay. Maybe I should just speak louder. Okay. Well, it's working. Okay. Um, the normal, the normal 
announcements uh, with our offering envelopes. Uh, Andrea's are still our contact number. We do have new days of praise and acts and facts are in. Uh, it doesn't look like much has happened on the portico this week, but the contractor was here and he was setting the plates on the iron so that he could uh, install the trusses. So that in itself does take some, uh, some work getting up in there and, and finagling everything around. Um, we need to keep in our, in our prayers those that are sick and down this week. Uh, half of the Luke family is not here uh, because of various illnesses. Uh, I guess uh, Elizabeth and Naomi are both down quite hard with uh, some undisclosed uh, virus or flu or of the nature. My wife has not been feeling well. She's up and down. Uh, I'm getting along with the shingles. Uh, it is a experience that I would not wish on too many people. Um, so, but I'm muddling through it. Um, one positive note we have is uh, we will be resuming evening service beginning next Sunday. And that's going to be at 6 o'clock in the evening? That, that's the number we'll go with for now, okay? All right, 6 o'clock in the evening, bring finger foods, and the topic to be announced. Do we have any other um, uh, information that anybody has to impart to us today? Anything up? Terry? They have COVID? No. Just, uh, just a flu virus? Uh, I think it's sinus. Sinus? Yeah. Yeah, we need to keep that, keep our brethren in, in prayer for this. Uh, keep, keep strength. Uh, Satan attacks us in many ways, doesn't he? The, the power of uh, the, the sin itself, the power of viruses and illnesses. Doug and Laura are, Doug and Laura are down with uh, with COVID. Uh, Doug tested positive, and I guess he got uh, real sick. And I, I don't have an update on how he's feeling, but uh, we would know if if it got more serious. Perhaps we can have Andrea make contact with uh, with the Claytons and the Armstrongs to see if they need anything and, and put it out on the prayer chain, and uh, we can contact. Yeah, but we can go through Andrea and uh, coordinate if uh, if our brethren need uh, food or materials. Let's do that. 
All of them. Well, we'll we'll endeavor to be in contact with all of them then. That that uh, I think is probably a a reasonable thing to undertake for a small group. Look after one another. Okay. The scripture for meditation, taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter fifty-five, verses six through 13, and that's page 1148 in your pew Bible. Would you stand with us as we begin our morning in prayer? George, would you be good enough to lead us in prayer, please? Yes. Father, we give you praise and thanks for allowing us to come together as 
thank you so much for all you do, for your gracious mercy and love to us. And we ask, Lord, that you help us to understand your purposes and to see your hand at work amongst us. Lord, we are so thankful that indeed you don't just abandon us. You don't tell us something and then just leave it happen on its own. But these things all are part of your mystery of life. And uh, we are here, Lord, seeking your face and asking for your blessing on the services today. Be with Pastor as he speaks, Lord. We pray that you would lift him up and give him strength. We anticipate, Lord, even adding back to our services, the, the evening services here at the church. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would encourage people's hearts to begin to serve you again as they know they should. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Uh, your word teaches us, Lord, that we are together in your name and for the purpose of uh, declaring the truth to the world around us. We pray, Father, that indeed that, that ministry and that work of salvation would be uh, blessed and uh, flourish for your name's sake. We ask this all in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing. Number one at the brown.
anyone have a favorite hymn this morning? Number two? Okay. <clears throat> is there a reason this morning? Well, because it was easy just to flip the page. <laughs> I've, I've always loved this hymn. I just, I, I just love the words. I love the music. It's just a real song. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And that would be page 26 in your pew Bible. I am also reading from the NIV. When you get to your, uh, please uh, stand. <coughs> Thank <clears throat> you. 
The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to your house this night? Bring them out to us that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you want and what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved toward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Father, we pray that you would add your blessing to this holy and inspired word that it falls upon those who seek you and would be righteous. In the name of Christ, amen. If you all will turn with me again to page 535 in the Trinity.
Genesis 19 is our text. Well, you can see that uh, in the providence of God, COVID is taking its uh, toll on our attendance. So I think we really need to up our intensity of prayer, remember our people that are hurting, and um, ask the Lord to protect us that are somewhat well. I'm thankful to be able to be here and... Uh, sad about all those that are sick it's a it's a drain on our church well our text this morning is genesis 19 and we're in into a section dealing with subject matter that is hard to uh hard to discuss anytime we talk about sexual sins things of that nature People want to plug their ears or they want to ignore it or whatever. But I remind you that, um, <clears throat> you know, once a year in Israel back in these days, all of the families gathered in, the, in Jerusalem in the town square and Moses, or whoever was in charge, got up and stood and read the law from morning till noon. And that included everybody. All the kids were there. All the adults were there. And beginning with Genesis, they read the first five books of the Bible. And um, if you think this subject matter is a bit iffy, when you get into the book of Leviticus, it really gets dicey. And um, God doesn't pull any punches with regard to sexual purity and any aversions that men devise to sin against God. So we're not trying to be um, tantalizing or anything of, of that nature. But just to tell it like it is, and boy, I think you know that in our society, sexual sin is right up there at the, at the top. People literally live like animals and have no qualms whatsoever in what they do. I would say they think anything goes. I think that's the way most people think. Anything goes, and what is more, it's none of your business what I say or do. But righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a disgrace to any people. And I'll tell you what, if God judges as he does, and we're going to see that with regard to Sodom and Gomorrah, if he did this back then, God doesn't change. So what's going on in our nation with regard to some of these same things I think the boom can be lowered by God at any time, and he would be justified because of what's going on. But anyway, that said, our text is Genesis 19. 
In our last study of the patriarchs, we considered Abraham's plea with God to spare Lot from God's intended destruction of the city. And he did this not by pleading directly for Lot, but for any righteous who might be found within the city. And you will recall that he began with the number 50, and he worked his way all the way down to 10. So obviously he believed that um, doing the math... There had to be at least 10 people in the city. I mean, there's Lot and Lot's wife and his two daughters and the two pledged son-in-laws. So now we're up to a total of six. Surely, surely we can find four more people in the city to make the total of ten, so that God would not destroy the city. That's how we do the math. And I'm sure Lot thought the same. But he was mistaken. There weren't ten righteous people to be found. Abraham was apprised of God's plan because God counted him as his friend. What a blessing to think that God would call somebody his friend. Yet if you look in the New Testament, we are called the friends of Christ. No longer called servants, says Jesus. But I have called you friends. Wow. Furthermore, there was no mistake as to God's analysis of Sodom's sin, since God was able to judge both the thought and the motive of men's hearts. We drew out a number of lessons. In Christ, God treats us as friends that know the Master's will. Number two, we learn that God alerts us to his impending judgment, giving us time to warn our friends and relatives. If, I say that strongly, if they will listen. But we're not responsible for if they will listen. That, lays, that responsibility is laid on them. Our job is simply to tell them what's coming. We learned also that wickedness has its own voice that cries out to God for judgment. God does not have to be informed about wickedness. He knows it. And we close by saying we should be concerned about the spiritual family when judgment is about to come and we need to plead for their rescue so that brings us today we want to talk about Sodom's willful sin it's not written correctly in the bulletin but here it is Sodom's willful sin as we come let's ask for the Lord's enablement Lord these are hard subjects to discuss and we don't like to talk about them because they're offensive to us. They uh, smack at our sensitivities. Yet, we are reminded, as I said earlier, that the whole law was read in the square of Jerusalem. All the kids were there. 
all the adults were there. So child or adult, you wanted them to know what your views are with regard to sexuality. So bless these truths to our hearts. And we live in a culture, Lord, and that's no surprise to you, that has totally gone berserk with regard to wholesome sexuality. Everything is corrupt. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to see that and to be able to pray in intelligent ways for its deliverance. Because I think judgment is hanging at the door. And if this doesn't turn around, it's going to fall as it did on these plain states back in the days of Genesis. So we thank you, praise you for it, help us to study in Christ's name, amen. We know firstly from our text, Sodom's willful sin. Lot greeted and entertained two angels incognito. Up until this point, we have always been told that these two were part of the three that showed up at Abraham's tent and that they were men. Genesis 18, verse 2, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Okay. Verse 22, same text, tells us that while Abraham remained with the one of the three titled the Lord... The remaining men turned away and went towards Sodom. Again, using the word men. But our text tells us, verse 1, that these two persons who arrived in Sodom were two angels. So what's up here? Well, there are many angels in God's arsenal of servants, and they have various tasks to perform as God instructs them. And they have the ability to take on human form. Some angels are actually named. You remember the name Gabriel. He was the messenger who brought Zechariah and Elizabeth the news that they would have a son in their old age, John. That was John the Baptist. Luke 1 verse 19. He was also the angel who announced to Mary that she would be the mother of the Lord, Luke 1, verse 29. Again, he's named, so we know who he was. It was an angel that calmed Joseph's concerns about Mary being pregnant before they were married and assured him of her fidelity because her child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1, verse 20. So this angel, he's moving around, And he is informing God's people what's going on in this great event that's coming. Again, an angel alerted Joseph in the night to flee to Egypt because Herod was planning a genocide of all the boy babies in Bethlehem, two years old and under. Matthew 2, verse 13. So this angel is active. And he's active on behalf of God's people. 
Wow. In the Old Testament, there are references to what I'm going to call warrior angels. Now, they're not called that. I'm calling them that. But their primary task is to bring judgment upon those who have sinned against God, refused to repent, preferring instead to proceed with their own wicked agendas. In Exodus, Israelites were spared God's judgment, but in the case of Pharaoh, he was compelled to release the Israelites because, let me read it for you, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, ah, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorposts and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Exodus 12, verse 23. But that was not the case with the Egyptians. That's the case with Israelites. This destroyer angel has a job to do and it isn't pleasant. Again, when the Assyrians laid siege to Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah, we read, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he's going to return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. Boy, that must have been of great comfort. He goes on. I will defend this city and save it for my sake, for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and he put to death a hundred and eighty-five thousand men in the Assyrian camp. I can't even I can't even conceive that. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. Smart move. <laughs> he returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. Isaiah thirty seven, verse thirty three and following. Boy, when, God, when God's fury is generated, look out. Look out. Jesus refers to the angels as those who will be used by God to gather his people to him while judging the wicked. Let me read it for you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people as one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Matthew 25, verse 31 and 32. All the angels with him. Boy, that's, a, that's quite a statement. All the angels? Let me ask the question, how many angels are there? Well, when Peter tried to defend Jesus from those who came to arrest him, you remember that he whipped out his lone sword and he swiped off the ear of Malchus, servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebuked him saying, Hey, 
Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew 26, verse 53. Now a legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers, so 12 legions... is 73,000 angels. But the statement more than means it was an innumerable host. In the Revelation we read, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Writes John, wow. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Revelation 5 verse 11. Ten thousand times ten thousand is one hundred thousand. The Greek here says a myriad of angels, but in biblical jargon, innumerable. Innumerable. Just can't count them, so many. What's the rule assigned to angels by God? Well, David gives a general observation. He says, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Psalm 103, verse 21. The writer of Hebrews makes it more specific, saying, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 1, verse 14. David put it this way, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 34, verse 7. Yes, he delivers them. Whether we're talking about three Hebrew children thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace or Daniel thrown into the lion's den, you remember? Or you and me in the times of danger, God's promise is this. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Wow. They will lift you up in their hands. They will lift you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, You will tread the great lion and trample him and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91, verse 9 and 5. God's promise to his people. 
The angels who showed up in Sodom that fateful night had a twofold mission from God. Rescue Lot and his family and, in their own words, verse 12, do you have anyone else here, anyone else in the city who belongs to you, Lot? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. Goes on, the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So, Lot was host to both his deliverers and Sodom's destroyers. One of the same angels. So this brings us to a question that we have to ask. What was the extent of Sodom's wickedness? What's going on here? Well, the sin was one of sexual immorality, which defied God's creation order. In the original creation, the Bible repeatedly states that sexual relations were for the purpose of procreation. The procreation involved a male and a female of every species or kind. So God created the great creatures of the sea, I'm reading scripture, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds increase upon the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, verse 21 through 25. This was no less the case with the creation of man and woman. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. So to put it succinctly, originally, sexuality's main function was reproduction. Beginning with two of any kind of species, a male and a female, through having offspring, the fish, the fowl, the animal kingdom, and human beings were to eventually fill the earth. After Noah's flood, God anticipated the need for a restart 
of all creatures, great and small. And so that is why Noah was instructed. The animals going in, referring to the ark, were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Genesis 7, verse 16. So homosexuality or same-sex defies the creation order. That's number one. We see that time and time again. Male and female, male and female, male and female. Pairing. It was part and parcel to God's judgment of the nations. Secondly, God's indictment of the antediluvian people was this. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness of the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind out whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Genesis 6 verse 5 and following. Romans 1, Paul gives us some of the dark details. He writes, although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. So they went into idolatry. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged the natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> abandoned natural relations with women. And were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men. And received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Romans 1, 22 and 5. Notice that God's accusation is that in same-sex relationships, whether women with women or men with men, there is an abandonment of what he calls natural relations. Natural meaning what God intended in nature when he made the species of male and female. After the flood, same thing was told to Noah. Noah was given a whole list of various perversions, which I won't read. You can read it on your own. But it concludes, do not defile yourself in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. 
Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. Leviticus 18, verse 22 and following. I read that and I think, oh my. America, America. What is in store for us? Very scary. Note the pattern here that God judged the antediluvian world through Noah's flood for their gross idolatry and immorality. And now our text, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and some smaller plain cities of the Jordan Plain, then later the Canaanites and all the other ites living in the land when God disposed them to give the land to Israel. In every case, same-sex immorality played a major role in God's judgment. What then will be the outcome of our country since our own Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriages in all 50 states which violated their role under the U.S. Constitution? They're not to legislate. That's not the role of the Supreme Court. There to define what the legislation means when it's made by Congress. But even more so, it violates God's marriage ordinance as reiterated by Jesus to the leaders of his day. Here's Jesus' words. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. And I usually use this passage of scripture in almost every marriage that I perform. God is taking two of you and making you into one. So God judges same-sex sexuality and he calls it a perversion. Now the world doesn't do that, but God, God calls it that. The third wickedness is they held so tenaciously to this same-sex sexuality, that they were willing to resort to violence and rape, not consensual sex. This is often ignored with regard to the homosexual community. These two men, the angels, were invited by Lot to be his house guests for the evening. But verse 4 states, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, so sodomy is, is not generational. It involves young uh, people as well as adults. Surrounded his house, and they called a lot. 
Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them, and he shut the door behind him. Genesis 19, 4 through 6. Why is he doing that? Why is he going outside? Well, Lot's going to try a little diplomacy. That's why why he did that. It was not enough for the Sodomites to carry out their immorality among themselves. They were ready and willing to violate Lot's house guests. And when Lot refused their perverted request, verse 9 says, they responded saying, get out of our way. And they said, this fellow, referring to Lot, he he's, he's came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. Wow. But the men inside, now these are the angels, reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Genesis 19, verse 9 and 10. Literally rescued. How steeped were the Sodomites in their lusts for a fresh sexual encounter? Well, they were so determined, get this now, that when Lot offered his virgin daughter, saying, you can do what you like with them, verse 8, by the way, sinful on Lot's part, what a terrible thing to do. Their response was to move forward to break down the door. Verse 9. And were it not for the angels who struck the Sodomites with blindness, verse 11, so that they could not find the door, Lot and his house guests were in a world of hurt. Brethren, homosexuality is not an innocent diversion to heterosexual relations. It can and does involve violent side effects, even including rape, as documented in prisons and in the military everywhere. It's not an innocent diversion. Now that brings out some very important lessons on sexuality for our day. Number one, people are sexual creatures, but God commands that that sexuality be expressed between male and female and between husband and wife. Hebrews 13 verse 4 gives us God's summation. Let me read it. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's pretty well lays out God's view. Leviticus 18, you can read this on your own, lists all those with whom there is to be no sexual interaction. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, any close relative. No, no. Even a virgin. If a man seduces a virgin, I'm reading scripture, who is not pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall become 
his wife. You don't get away with that even. Exodus 22, verse 16. The reason for this is what we read earlier from Jesus' words. The two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. That's the marriage mandate of Genesis 2, verse 24, given the original creation of Eve. Any violation of God's moral standard for sexuality results in judgment. Reuben slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Jacob took note of it. And at his passing, he cursed his son, saying, Reuben, you are my firstborn, you are my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up unto your father's bedroom, onto my couch, and you defied it, defiled it. Genesis 49, verse 3 and 4. What is happening here? Jacob is disenfranchising his son. What's that mean? He's disowning him. He's writing him out of the will. Can I put it that way for our understanding? Even worse befell Absalom, you remember, David's son, of whom we read. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he lay with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. 2 Samuel 16, verse 22. It was a deliberate attempt to defy David and to bolster his own sinful attempt to usurp his father's crown. What happened? Well, he found himself in a battle against one of David's Men, hanging by his long hair in the branches of a tree, while Joab, David's general, I'm reading scripture, took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And they took Absalom and they threw him into a big pit in the forest and they piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their home. 2 Samuel 18, verse 14 and following. What a way to die, right? In disgrace. Paul in the New Testament says, Do you not know? Don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. Boy, if there was just... The, that's just two verses in the Bible, but if they're the only two verses, wow, it covers everybody. Back to our account. There was a trying to repress one sin by promoting another, 
And I think that shows a grave misunderstanding of God's character in, on the person of Lot. I want you to think about this. It's hard for me to conceive what Lot did in an attempt to ward off the Sodomite town folk from storming his house to get at the two visitors who were his house guests. I say it's hard for me to believe it, but I have to believe it because here it is written in God's word. Our text says, verse 8, Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them what you want. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under my protection of my roof. Genesis 19, verse 8. May I say that this was Lot's attempt at diplomacy. (laughs) Of trying to reason with men hell-bent on immoral wickedness. There's no reasoning with these kind of people. Okay, but where is Lot's faith in this? I'm looking for that. Where's his faith? Why did he not trust God to intervene? He has reverted to the proverbial scapegoat form of preservation of offering his virgin daughters as sacrificial lambs. But all this accomplished, as we have already noted, was to incite the men of Sodom to lay hands on Lot. Verse 9 who had to be rescued by the angels who reached out through the door and pulled him to safety. Paul puts this in the form of a principle in Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then, writes Paul, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? The issue here was the twisting of a biblical principle where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Romans 5, verse 20. Or to put it in terms that we can understand, Paul tells us that because he was a preacher of grace, the accusation was leveled against him and his fellow ministers that his message was, let us do evil that good may result. This was Lot's mentality. Think about it. I will sacrifice my daughters to abuse, to spare my house guests from being abused. That's kind of warped logic, don't you think? In our day, we have a saying, it's this, two wrongs don't make a right. What should Lot have done? David tells us, David, but I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Men who never change their ways. And have no fear of God. 
My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet he has they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. Psalm 55, verse 16 and following. That's what Lot should have done. Should have trusted God. And despite Lot's sinful attempt to reason his way out of trouble by compromising his daughters, God rescued him and his daughters. Praise you, Lord. Thirdly, as horrendous as the sin of homosexuality is, God will forgive any and all homosexuals who repent and seek God's favor through Jesus Christ. This means that same-sex practices are like all disobediences to God. They are sins made from a willful choice, not a matter of genetic programming. See, how do you know this? Well, for two reasons. One, because the principle of judgment in the scriptures is that of personal sin, not innate genes that a person has. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The soul that sins shall die, Exodus, Ezekiel rather, 18 and verse 20. Or in the words of Jesus, I am making everything new. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give a drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, Revelation 21, verse 5 and following. Judgment for the unbelieving, unrepentant, who prefer their sinful lifestyle to reconciliation with God. That's the first answer. The second answer is, that homosexuals can and do become heterosexuals by the power of God's redemption. Paul writing to the Corinthians, which was Sin City in biblical days. In our day, it's Las Vegas. But writing to them is what he says. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? So do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male, male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. And you were sanctified. And you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and following. I love that verse. 
Did we not learn last week, along with Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Acts 10, verse 15. That's what God does. There's hope for sexual sins as any other, for any other sin. What about murder? That's pretty... That's pretty terrible. Well, David was a murderer. Did you know that? He orchestrated the death of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, so that he could get Bathsheba for himself. Read Psalm 51. And David talks about his sin and how God, instead of striking him dead, forgave him. Now, he had consequences, you remember. But God forgave him. In closing, I would say that rejecting the gospel of God's forgiveness and grace is a worse sin. Now, hear me a worse sin than sexual sins, including homosexuality. We tend to view sex sins as somehow more vile, more reprehensible to God than any other sin. But if that is your view, you are sadly mistaken. Do we not read in Paul's warning to the Corinthian church, such sins as thievery, greed, drunkenness, slander, swindling. Did we not hear from Jesus' own lips that those facing judgment consisted not only of people committing sex sins, but also cowards, those towards, cowards towards owning God as your Savior? The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, those who practice magic arts or the occult, the idolaters, and all liars, Revelation 21, verse 5 and following. It's a long list. And if that is not proof enough, did we not read Jesus' indictment against the cities of his day, wherein he preached the good news of the gospel and evidenced his power through mighty miracles? Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Wow. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes, but I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on that day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Romans 11, or Matthew 11, verse 20 and following. What I am saying, seeing here is there is a sin more horrendous than sex sins. 
We don't normally think about that. What is it? It's the sin of turning a deaf ear to Christ Almighty and his command to repent and believe the gospel. You know, Sodom was never afforded that opportunity, but you are. You and I are. Hebrews 12, 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they, the Israelites, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that would be Moses, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns from heaven? Our Lord. Whatever your sin today, lies, unbelief, immorality, disobedience to parents, a vile tongue, a wicked thought, God in the gospel commands you to repent and trust in his son Jesus to forgive you and to make you new into an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful for the master, prepared for any good work. 2 Timothy 2 verse 21. God may grant us faith and repentance and then we have the responsibility to act upon it. To act upon it. There are many, many who never hear the gospel in our country. Not, not even in churches. Because there's many preachers that don't know anything about grace. Oh, they preach on the love of God. They preach on being a good neighbor. They preach on social endeavors that we should be doing. Feeding the hungry. Clothing those that are without proper clothing and so forth. All the good works that men think about. But they don't tell people how to get rid of the blackness of their heart and their sin. And so those people think they're saved because they're in a church that preaches good works. And they are involved in the good works. They're not just sitting on their hands. But they have no knowledge of how good is good. And they can't define it according to God's standard. It's the righteous that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ applied to us through the blood of his cross. I mean, why did Christ die if it was just to say, you're, you're, you're a good old boy just the way you are. You don't need the blood of the cross. You don't need me to forgive you. It just is, doesn't it doesn't mesh. It doesn't fit together. Well, these are wicked sins that we've been talking about today, and I'll tell you what, even if you feel justified in your own heart, say, Well, I never did that. Have you not remembered Jesus' words that anyone that looks upon a woman in a lustful way has committed adultery with her in his heart and is guilty? That's me and every male here. And God needs to forgive us on the merit of Jesus Christ. 
Our Lord, we thank you for your word. It's, um, it's brutal sometimes. I mean, it is a sword. And it cuts us with great conviction and reminds us of the need of God stepping into our lives and changing us. I pray that we will appreciate that. It's grace from God for him to awaken us to the sense of our sin so that we come to God and we plead that he will change us, forgive us, and cleanse us. And we do pray for those things. And we have relatives and friends, they don't think of themselves as being sinners like that. They think they're okay the way they are. So it's really a grace on God's part that he's opened our eyes to ourselves and allowed us to see so that we can come and plead for forgiveness and grace on the merit of his son. But if we think we're good and that we're okay the way we are, nothing's going to change and we're going to die in our sins. We don't need a Savior. We're not going to have a Savior. But I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see there's none righteous but God. And only his perfect life can atone for our imperfect sinful life. I thank you, Lord, for your atoning grace. Help us, men in particular, with our eye gate, what we look at, what we lust for. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to gratify our own fleshly desires and thinking that that's a little bit of heaven when it's not. The devil comes and tempts us in these things, and I pray, Lord, that you will deliver us. Lot was in trouble. He was. Unfortunately, he's going to get into more trouble in our next study. I pray, Lord, that we will learn from Lot because the Bible does call him a righteous man. We wouldn't call him that, perhaps, but you do because the righteousness of Lot is not his personal righteousness. It's the imparted righteousness of the Savior. And so he is an example of all of us whose sin is covered because of an imparted righteousness. Please help us to see that and to believe it. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Our closing hymn is, let me get it here, 655 in Trinity.
so thankful that you have provided a cleft in the rock in which we can hide in thee. Our world is not a friend to lead us on to God, as the hymn writer says. No. It is designed and used by the evil one to bring us down along with him. What a murderer he is. He's not content to go to hell on his own. He wants to take as many as he can with him. 
not a friend. Yet the world lives as though indulging in the devil's wickedness is the fun they have to look forward to in the confines of hell. I've heard him say, well, at least I'll be with my friends. Hmm. Devil's not our friend. They also have no understanding that it is a place where the fire does not quench, where there's no light but utter darkness, no redemption. Lord, if we're here today and we don't know you, Stir our hearts to come and to believe and to confess our sin and to plead the case of Jesus as our Savior. And we'll praise you for what you do to our hearts. Grant us the faith that we don't have and the repentance that we don't want to yield to you because we love our sin. Do this for your glory and our good, we pray. Amen. We are dismissed.